Perfect. Uh, well, let's kick off the show and the day with athleticgreens.com slash surf. Hell to the yes, athletic greens, a part of my daily routine and my dairy, my daily um, health regimen, frankly, you know, workout, Peloton, eat well. And as an addendum, athletic greens, my friend, hell to the yes. Even if you are eating well, it's hard to get all of the vitamins and nutrients that you would need if it was just whole foods, you know, because that's just a ton of food. So being able to do it in this format makes it super simple and effective. Um, did you see which professional surfer is now on the AG1 program? Jacko, my fair dinkum, Struth. Within one month of him publishing that announcement, wins the pipe event. It's no coincidence. It's that's part of the deal, bros. Clearly. You know what I'm saying? Clearly. We the know the thing is, yo, go ahead. I was gonna say I know of two of the CT surfers who use it. Kanoa, because it was on his counter last year in make or break, uh, season one, and then Jacko announced that. So I could co-sign both those guys. I mean, I, I think Kanoa's results speak for themselves, and now you got Jacko going for a world title. Yeah, number one surfer in the world, Jack Robinson, Athletic Greens, and of course, the number one podcasters in the world, David Lee Scales and Scott Bass. Well, maybe that's a bit of hyperbole. I don't know, but nope, I'm a big fan true. of Athletic Greens. It is true. Thank you. Yes. And I will say that um, what I've noticed is you said even if you're not eating well, or even if you are eating well, you can add Athletic Greens to your staple, to your diet. But what I've noticed too is like, I'm eating really well, like I'm eating super well. And that kind of pushes me towards other things in my life, which are good for me. And 100%. so I move towards athletic greens after I have my kale breakfast. You know what I mean? Good. Yes. Those, once you're on that cycle, it begets more and more good. And the same is true for the opposite too. Like once you're on the bad program, then you're like, oh, I already ate bad today. I might as well go ahead and have ice cream, yeah. you know, or whatever. Before you know, you're snorting fentanyl, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I remember having that exact epiphany probably a lot of times, but one time in specifically in yoga, hot yoga class, like 10 years ago. And I was like, man, that breakfast burrito was a bad idea today. <laughs> you know, in hot yoga, bending over, you do not want a lump of anything in your gut. And so it, the epiphany was, well, tomorrow at yoga, I better make sure that I just have granola before for breakfast or whatever it was, you know? Yeah, yeah, for so. sure. Well, look, athleticgreens.com slash surf. Go there, plug that in, plug in the uh, slash surf, and that helps David Scott and Absolutely. the whole Surf Splendor Network. Absolutely. And then the other essential, I think, for your daily life would, of course, be needessentialsusa.com. Well, yeah, I mean, look, that's a no-brainer, especially how friggin' cold, man. The Need Essentials Puffy Jacket is the toastiest jacket I've ever worn in my life. It's lightweight. I mean, you put the thing on, I put it on and like, I'm sweating pretty soon afterwards. I mean, it does a great job of insulating and protecting my body heat from escaping. So I'm a big, big proponent of the puffy jacket. I agree with you. That is unequivocally the warmest jacket I've ever owned. Speaking of neat essentials, have you been tracking Torin Martin's sailing trip this past year? Well, I saw something kind of random somebody sent me where 
he and his wife were like reefing in the sails or tightening up the sails. And it, it looked, somebody said, Hey, is this a plea for help? Like, oh, he, really? I don't know. I, I mean, maybe it was my friend just making fun, but it went from like rainy to sunny to stormy to squally to beautiful again, which is the nature of the beast when you're sailing in the Pacific or, you know, anywhere in the tropics. Yeah. It's been interesting. I, I have a feeling that there's going to be a film that comes out eventually, but he hasn't been posting like John, John did a similar trip and John, John kind of like documented it along the way, you know, every week or twice a week, he would publish something. Torin's been a little bit more, um, he hasn't been publishing as much, but it's a 5,000 mile trip that he did within the course of a year. And he's sailing around Indonesia currently and scoring great surf along the way. And, uh, with i don't know if she's his wife yet or not but um <laughs> what a lifestyle you know what i mean like when well, you think about say this. before you have kids before you have a mortgage if you could take a year and do that and he's learning on the way too like he he wasn't a super he was a new sailor really yeah well um no shade on john john but what torrin martin's doing is totally a different beast than some state-of-the-art trimaran and you're oh, going yeah. to sail to Fiji or the Fijian islands and kind of cruise around. Like what Torrin's doing is kind of next level. Like, um, you know, it either makes or breaks your relationship probably. And no um, question. And much gnarlier and much, uh, I don't want to say more adventurous, but I will say more adventurous, just way more, um, the challenges of a true crossing, you know, um, I mean, going from Hawaii to Fiji is a, is a crossing. There's no doubt. But um, I think what Torn's doing, and I don't really know what his exact itinerary is, but from what I gather, it's, it's a, if he's doing a 5,000 mile sail, it's, it, he's doing some beastie crossings. And those are, those are gnarly. Like when you leave port and you're like, okay, we will not see land for two yeah. weeks. Yeah. And we might not see anyone else, It, which was the case when I sailed. Like we didn't see anyone for two and a half weeks, like not another boat. It was gnarly. It's crazy. But again, can you imagine a more kind of whimsical way to live for that one year of your life? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great life experience and something he'll cherish forever. And um, cool. It'd be cool that if it's, you know, documented on a film, that'd be great. Yeah. I remember them telling me that it was going to be. Um, so I don't think that he has a filmer with him. I think they're documenting it themselves and then Ishko will probably pull it together into a film afterwards. But um, yeah, not only a great experience, but just a learning the amount of learning and growth that you would do in that year personally and interpersonally with your partner is invaluable so congrats to them for living the life that we all wish that we could well just know that you know it's pretty comfy here in this heated home in southern california like that guy is going through some hardship it's like for it's sure. not all rainbows and perfect waves in fact it's hardly any of that well one of the um hardships that he went through a minor one we talked last time about leashes you were like man for neat essentials like the fact that they have these kind of add-ons just throw them in your cart for 20 extra bucks when you're buying your wetsuit why wouldn't you just get a few leashes you know he happened to post that day that day or that very next day that he i think only brought one leash accidentally on the trip and it broke really quickly and so he had like 
diagonally cut it, tried to melt it back together and fuse it, you know, into one leash. And uh, so he, it would happen to be, it was funny that he happened to post about that right when you were talking about it. Yeah. Well, but. look, go to New Essentials, get your leashes, get your puffy jacket, get your wetsuits. Water's freaking butt cold here. Uh, Needessentials.com. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. David Lee Scales, Scott Bass with you here on Spit. We're talking all things surf on this Thursday. We're a day late. We apologize. It's February 16th, February 16th. And frankly, we had um, Valentine's Day stuff that, that was way more important, uh, you know, than you, you folks. Sorry. What did we you love do? you, but we love our wives, too. How, how did you celebrate? Uh, roses. Nice. And uh, probably, you know, one of the, I went, we actually went out of town. We went to Florida. Oh, did you? For the Super Bowl weekend. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Nice. Do you have family down there or what? Yeah, yeah, I've got, my brother lives down there. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. What a romantic, what a romantic getaway. Hang out with a brother. Good stuff. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You over, so you overpaid for roses. (laughs) Roses on Valentine's Day, I feel like, are four times the price of a regular rose. You know, it's funny. My wife was like, oh, thanks for the roses, you know, kind of like, you know, semi uh, tongue in cheek or whatever. Because, you know, when you're whatever it is, married 24 years and been together for 28 years. um, Here's the hot tip, though, for you, David, and for anyone. And I, I tell this to everybody. Every single time you go to the grocery store, buy roses, buy flowers. They don't have to be roses. Buy flowers and bring them home. And that's like money. Like just bring flowers to your home, to your place where you live. And uh, that's the solid every day's Valentine's Day move. Okay. I like it, but I have questions. Yes. Does she appreciate it on the 84th time? Yes, because... She's a woman and okay. women love flowers, man. Okay. And women like to brighten up their homestead with, with that type of thing. You know? Okay. Fresh bouquet of flowers goes a long way. Every single time you go to the store, you're going to be dropping 15 bucks or whatever. And it's well worth it. Yeah. Trader Joe's has great flowers and they're 10 bucks, you know, they're cheap. But my concern is just that there's a law of diminishing returns kicks in at a certain point. No. Okay, cool. No. Flowers defy the law. Yes. Okay, good to know. I will implement. I I actually have implemented this, but not every single time, but more like on a once every two week basis, which I thought would, you know, fight against that law of diminishing returns a little bit. (laughs) Well, look, every relationship is nuanced. That's what we do here uh, in my household. That's what I, that's my move. Okay. I like uh, it. You do your, you do you. Well, I think it's good advice. Or we'll say this, Trader Joe's, I both love it and hate it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think we've talked about this before. I think we have too. It's mostly Okay, we won't go there. But what I've learned how to avoid the hate parts, like go in the, 
you know, semi late morning when it's not that crowded, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. Okay, good. I've got something I want to start off with here. Talk to me. It's a game called Who is This Legendary Surfer? Okay, so I'm going to quiz you, David, and the listeners as I read this. Will you bear with me, please? Yeah, I'm going to text Tyler Brewer as you're talking. I'm going to oh, let he him does the history <laughs> so that I can get, Please his, do. Oh, but he won't, get the answer. Actually, from put him. him on. It'd be fun. He'll know who this is. Tyler will know who this is. You probably will too. It's kind of easy. Okay, we'll ready see. to begin. We'll see. This is from the Encyclopedia of Surfing. I am, uh, I'm quoting, you know, Matt or whoever wrote this. Gifted but self-destructive surfer from La Jolla, California, known as Mr. Pipeline. For his breakthrough performances at Hawaii's most famous surf spot in the early to mid-1960s, he was born in 41 in Norfolk, Virginia, the son of a career Navy man, and moved often as a child until his family settled in Pacific Beach, San Diego, when he was 14. He began surfing a year later, a broad-shouldered natural athlete. He lettered in football, baseball, and track for three straight years at La Jolla High School. He, meanwhile, became a regular at Wind and Sea, the area's best-known surf break, and was soon one of La Jolla's best surfers. He was a drinker and a brawler, putting him in good stead among the rowdy local surfers who, in 1963, brought a kind of frat house organization to their beach scene by forming the Wind and Sea Surf Club with him as a charter member. He was a wild man, longtime Wind and Sea local Carl Ekstrom recalled. He never walked away from a fight or a party. He had a nondescript first visit to Oahu's North Shore in 1961. On his return visit the following year, however, he clicked everywhere he rode, including Sunset Beach and Haleiwa. He was the first surfer to ride switchfoot at Waimea Bay, pivoting casually in mid-ride from goofy foot stance to regular foot stance. At Pipeline, he was on a separate and higher plane altogether. Hawaiians Conrad Kanha and Sammy Lee were among a small number of surfers who already had a basic understanding of how to ride inside the tube, but it was he who became the first surfer to make tube riding a repeatable step-by-step -step process. His best rides were seen on the big screen a few months later in surf movies like Gung Ho, Angry Sea, and Walk on the Wet Side. And three years later, he was featured in Bruce Brown's crossover hit The Endless Summer. He moved to the North Shore in 66, became a lifeguard. He had dozens of heroic rescues over the next few years, but was already losing ground to alcoholism. By 1969, he was a background figure in surfing and was eventually fired from his lifelong from his lifeguarding job for absenteeism. After fellow California big wave transplant surfer Jose Angel died in some in what some felt was a suicidal deep water dive in 1976, he went into an alcoholic depression. He died of liver failure in 1979 at age 38. Fred Hemmings helped organize his memorial service on the beach at Pipeline. David, the original OG, Mr. Pipeline, can you tell me who this is? Is it Henson? No. Joey Cabell. It's not, it's not Mike Hinson. It's not Joey Cabell, both who are still alive. <laughs> I don't know. Fun fact, uh, Mike Armstrong, a.k.a. Army, was oh. an alternate. No, it's not him. Okay. 
But he was an alternate in the first Pipeline Masters competition in 1971, and he took this surfer's spot who didn't show up. This surfer, David, I'll tell you who it is right now. Butch Van Artstalen. Oh, okay. Butch Van Artstalen, the original Mr. Pipeline. I bring this up, David, because one of the many and unique uh, and historically significant surfboards is a Butch Van Artstalen Hobie, which we have in the upcoming California Gold Surf Auction. And I received this board in this letter, this email from the owner of the board. And if you don't mind, I'm going to tell you this story about this board because it's one of these really, in the world of collectible surfboards, this is one of those stories where you're like, holy mackerel, this this is a true barn find, so to speak. Mm. So I'm going to quote from this email and I'll be quick. And this is from uh, the owner of this board. <clears throat> I bought the board in Crescent City at a surf shop in 2015. As a collector, I'm always looking for old boards. I saw this old pigmented Hobie longboard with a cool reverse defin on consignment. At the time, I didn't have a Hobie. So I thought, cool old board, might as well get it. I don't have a Hobie. I knew it was old, but that's all I knew. The shop provided a letter from the owner. The letter explained that the board was on the owner's farm in Crescent City collecting dust in a barn. It had been there for a long time. The owner had brought the board up from Los Angeles in the 70s. The letter explained that the board had been used in a Hollywood movie and that it had been pigmented light blue so it would show up better, David, on the film as the clear Hobie was not showing up well on the movie. So Hollywood, not knowing what they had, painted over the board except for one Hobie logo. Of course, at the time that I'd purchased it, I had no inkling that it was going to be something historically significant. Eventually, I drove the board down to Santa Cruz to the Hout Shops dingai there to sand off the paint which Hollywood had put on it, which, of course, I thought looked really lame. So I left the board down and drove back up north. And then a few months later, I'd more or less kind of half forgotten about the board. The ding guy called me up and said, hey, you better come down and take a look at the Hobie you dropped off. You've got something special here. And he wouldn't tell me. He just said, come on down. By the time I got to Santa Cruz, I guess the word about the board had really spread. The whole Hout crew were excited about what they had uncovered underneath the cheesy Hollywood paint. I was led into the back into the ding area to see the board and wow, holy smoke. This is the stuff you hear about a real barn find, so to speak. The board had all of these Hobie logos all over it and a white pigment panels. And it looked like a Hobie team board. This was something that a team board would look like there on the stringer in bold fat pencil. I saw inscribed and in why they wanted me to come down. It said, Butch Van Artsdalen's personal, shaped by Hinson. I was blown away, a real surprise, totally unexpected. This board is a real survival. The fact that it was pigmented for so long probably saved it. I didn't touch the board except the original white panels were brought back to the original condition. All the fixed dings were from before I had owned it. If the Hollywood pigment was never stripped off of this culturally and historically significant surfboard, probably would have been lost to time. And uh, that, that is the story of this really cool board that we have in the auction coming up March 11th. Crazy. Yeah, it's super cool old barn find. Yeah, what a find. 
Butch Van Artsdale and Mr. OG, Mr. O, Mr. Pipeline, the OG, Mr. Pipeline, a guy who, uh, whose surfing star sort of, you know, burned bright for a very short period of time, but he was the man, uh, at Pipeline. Um, and a guy that's not, you know, a lot of the guys that are maybe listening to this show probably don't know too much about it. I think it's really important that we highlight, um, the history of surfing and these characters and, and these surfboards. And, and I congratulate Tyler for um, his podcast. Yeah. And, uh, clearly I don't know enough about him. And um, uh, I totally agree with you that we've talked about in the past, how magazines were a rite of passage for all of us and they had embedded in them a lot of historical information. And so you just kind of learned who was who as you entered the surf space. But now people enter from so many different areas that just, they don't even know. I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, uh, passionate new COVID surfers who don't even know who Tom Curran is probably, you know? I know. Is or, that random? It's our job to uh, shed a little light. Yeah. Um, but I have a question. How can you reappropriate the name Mr. Pipeline. If he was the original Mr. Pipeline, who then bestowed it upon Jerry after the fact? And how is it possible that Jerry now is known as that instead of the original? Yeah, this is a great question. And I actually pondered this. Well, I don't know if ponder that was just a long thought process, but I thought about this while I was reading this because, you know, somebody did bestow Jerry Lopez with the moniker, taking it from Butch, who died in 79 by that time lopez had already taken on the moniker i believe of mr pipeline maybe not maybe it happened a little later i don't know how that happens i think the media somebody in the yeah. surfer magazine world takes it and goes look this is the new guy you know it, and and i think it's okay you know because that was in the 60s this is now the 70s but what i was thinking about was it's still Jerry Lopez is still Mr. Pipeline. Like he never passed it on to who, and if he had, who would he have passed it on to like, say in the eighties before we know now who, okay, let me ask you this. Who's Mr. Pipeline right now? John, John. Okay. That's interesting. Cause I thought it would be Slater. Right. So I, it would have gone Jerry, maybe Derek Ho. Right. Then, then Slater. Right. Then but John. Slater still owns it because Slater's still relevant out there. It'd be one thing if Slater was like fat and drinking beer and wasn't, you know, playing golf or whatever, but he's, he just won it last year. I'm, you know, he's still, is, it's hard to my, give it to John, John is what I'm saying. I agree is, with you. John, John should have it. No, but. my point is you can't reuse the same name. Like John, John's the Prince of pipeline. And that's actually a better, <laughs> that's more adequate than Mr. Pipeline for him. And Kelly, no, it's not. Kelly, could be, it's not. Kelly could be the King of pipeline, but Mr. Pipeline was already used. And so Jerry, and I know that Jerry, by the way, did not deem himself Mr. Pipeline. I'm sure right. it was the media and other people. And so, you know, he just got yeah. labeled as that. No, but I agree. But here's the problem with the Prince of Pipeline is that, is that a prince suggests that you're in waiting for movement up the hierarchical rank of, of the uh, monarchy. Yeah. Because Kelly's still there, like you said. Right. King, so you, so you're going to king move. of pipeline. Okay. So then he, so then John John will be the king after we deem it that Kelly is no longer the king. We're just going to ascend the throne. No, some, members of the media, we're going to ascension will prince, occur because of us. Sometimes somebody remains a prince their entire life. I don't think that's how it's going to work, man. Hey. I think we need a king of pipeline. 
This, by the way, is just a nickname. It's not an actual monarchy, okay? And I know no, that this it is, is a big, big deal. But it's just no, no, no. a nickname. CNN is going to, this is, you know, monarch. it's going to be monarchy week on CNN. So by your uh, measure, then who's missing? You know, like was Jerry? No, there's Mary a princess. There's a princess. Uh, yeah, okay. the, the princess right now is probably, or no, the queen is Kelly's girlfriend. Slash, I was, are they I was married? Gonna, no, they're not married. I was going to say Moana would have to be. I don't, you know, look, this Kalani doesn't get to... could be done on the monarchy of pipeline. Right? <laughs> Kalani doesn't get bestowed with the pipeline title just because she's dating Kelly. She's the queen of no, pipeline. No, she's not the queen of pipeline. If there's a king, well, then she's at least a princess. Well, or no, maybe she's like a duchess or something. You know what I mean? Like, she's kind of yes. like. I never like, know how those things work anyway. She's like, the duchess. <laughs> Who's the king of England right now? Um, what's his name? Charles. Right. King Charles. His wife isn't the queen because she's not in the lineage. She's like the Duchess of Cambridge or whatever the hell. Good point. So Kalani's like a Duchess, I think. Fair enough. Right. Well, um, I like what you're saying though. We need to institute a little history segment periodically. Well, a ton of history gets thrown at you with the California gold surf box and each and every one of these boards is filled with uh, history and, and cultural significance. And again, that takes place March 11th. Uh, bidding begins March 11th and bidding will close March 25th. And we'll have the entire catalog of boards from, you know, Dick Brewer, Pat Kern, Sean Stussy, Jerry Lopez, Barry Kanai, Puni, Mike Hinson, Greg Knoll, host of other rare and killer surfboards. Sweet. Uh, yeah. Well, the reason I just threw Joey Cabell out there as a guest was uh, yeah. Surfing Heritage and Culture Center is doing a screening of the documentary about joey cabell's life yeah i think it's in about three weeks like first week of march or something yeah um, so i thought that's why that was on your mind but if anybody's interested i haven't seen the film yet i'm really curious to see the film but um surfing heritage and culture center shack s-h-a-c-c.org is where you can find that information and attend as well yeah and i'm pretty sure joey will be there i'm, I'm under yeah. the opinion that joey will be there and joey cabello yeah. you're right a great example of a guy who um you know legendary hawaiian surfer who did some things with his life that were fascinating and extremely successful yeah um i have a couple of listener line calls if you would like to listen yeah. a little feedback yeah. from our last show uh -oh. last shows here they come oh yeah no there's trans calls later in the show Lots of feedback about that. <laughs> no know, way. Are there? Are there really? There are. I mean, I know you. You don't want to dive super deep, but I got a lot of yeah. feedback, and people want to share it. So, okay. but here's the first. Good morning, Scott and David from the Spit Podcast. I'm here, uh, Josh, and my son Maverick from Ventura, California, and uh, heard your piece on claims, and thought I might share. My son's reaction, I put myself probably in the camp that you are, by not in the fan, not a fan of claims that seem prescribed, uh, seem to be baiting the judges in higher scores. Um, big fan of John John with his almost anti-claim, hands to his sides. Yeah. But Maverick, first, how old are you, Maverick? I am nine years old. All right. And tell me what you thought when you saw Gabriel's 
claim, his prescribed claim. What were you thinking? Well, when I thought it, was he just feeling the groove out? Like, you know, there's so much excitement in their air. So he's just like, that's what just he will do. They just want to let out their excitement. Okay. And then what else did it remind you of when you saw that? Immediately you said something. Yeah, it reminded me of Ronaldo's claims. And that he always celebrates, like... A lot. <laughs> right. And you like that as a fan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're a fan of Ronaldo, right? Mm-hmm. And the way he plays soccer. And you're a fan of Gabriel, right? Mm-hmm. And you, anything else you want to say about no, it's just, Gabby's claims? He's just trying to celebrate as much as he can. Yeah, and you think it's a good thing, huh? Yeah. All right, cool. I had somebody else mention the soccer connection too, and obviously soccer is such an important sport in Brazil, football, as it were. And, um, so there's a lot of crossover with that culture <laughs> into surfing, you know, and that makes perfect sense that Gabe's part of that. Yeah. And, and Gabe's friends with those guys, like Gabe rolls and those legit, you know, and I, first of all, let me say Maverick has sort of turned me here. I know me too. I kind of like, what's like, I, when Maverick was talking, I was like, God, I must have sounded like the oldest, cheesiest yes. old guy ever. Just like, yeah. claims are lame, get off of my lawn. You know, like, I know. what's wrong with a little exuberance, even if it's pre, you know, display, even if they're like having their AG1 and talking about how they're going to do their claim and they're practicing it. And frankly, that claim, as I look back on it, it wasn't overly prescribed. Like, I know he, that's his move, you know? But he's done it so many times that it kind of just went natural. It wasn't like, okay, now I'm going to move my left finger to my left forehead or whatever. So Maverick, thank you for the call and Josh. And I've been turned. I'm, I, I'm okay with legitimate spicy excitement of, and damn it. I deserve a good score. Well, when you hear the childlike innocence in Maverick's voice, you know, like this <laughs> cherubic, uh, like, He's just celebrate. He's excited. He just yeah. wants to have fun. Yeah. I'm reminded that I used to want to just have fun and that I wasn't always so cynical. And the new version <laughs> of me that you were talking about yourself feeling too is like, ah, too cool for that. They don't act excited. Are you kidding me? Like yeah. try to play it cool, which yeah. is such, if, if gabriel's thing is a reflection of his culture your and my thing of wanting to act cool is also a really telling reflection of our culture and where we're living and what we're trying to do <laughs> in a, in an equally kind of embarrassing way so i agree with you be more childlike embrace yeah. that innocent kind of exuberance and uh dance dance if you want especially in that situation you know and i think of baseball i think of Fernando Tatis baseball has a real culture of like, get off of my lawn. You're not supposed to flip the bat. You're not, you're not supposed to show any excitement. Don't show up the team or the pitcher. That's not cool. And Fernando Tatis to the San Diego Padres and a lot of other players as well. And most of them, by the way, um, you know, either from the Dominican or from, you know, like slightly different cultures that, that have embraced, you know, football or soccer, if you will they all let out their freak flag and let it fly. And it's kind of cool, you know? And, and so Mavericks, you know, I'm on point with Maverick here. Um, you know, I think what it is, is that in general, I like to see humility, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think in our superstars, that's not the place for it, maybe, especially in a moment of high intensity competition, you know, it's one thing if in the post 
heat or the post event press or you're showing a little bit of humility or whatever and you're not just like you know conor mcgregor just ah, you know but in the heat of it let's see some spice let's get maverick excited and fired up and we should be as fired up and as excited for the athletes as maverick is yeah it's i agree with you i have a high i place a high value on humility i think that maybe we are conflating misconflating the celebration as a lack of humility like gabriel can be humble but also celebrating his excitement of landing a massive air you know and so you and i see it and we just think ah oh, that's not humble but it's a high high and he's celebrating a high high is what he's doing but he could be humble yeah. after the fact or you know yeah. as a human being and as we noted too when he's not with a jersey on he's surfing just as good and just kind of rolling through it in a, in a way you know in a state of 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 humility you know it, i think if you define humility i often hear it as um, being in a teachable state, putting yourself in a teachable state, like you can learn from everything, you know? Yeah. And another way I've heard of it is, um, you know, that you're neither the um, dwarf of your fears, nor the superhero of your fantasies. You're just a surfer among surfers. And I think when Gabe's surfing in his norm, you know, without a jersey on, just like free surfing, he's kind of surfing like, yeah, this is just how I do it. You know, I'm not, you know, it's not a big deal. You know, and yeah, I'm a superstar. So one additional thought that <laughs> aligns with our previous feelings about this and doesn't, doesn't, <laughs> con doesn't conflict with Maverick's thing either is um, I don't like that the claims affect the judges scoring. Like that is where it is uh, right. a misstep is for the judges to be influenced by that claim. And so you're right. You said previously, Gabriel does not claim his free serves. And I've seen him do radical things in free serves and he never claims it. So the fact that he's only doing it in a contest and that the judges are awarding points when people do it is a huge problem. All of that aside, I agree with Maverick dance like no one's watching. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, as you do know, that's on the judges. That's not on mm -hmm. Gabe. You know, he's in the spirit of he's doing what he has to do to win heats and you can't knock him for that. And if that's part of it, again, that's on the judges. Yeah, completely. Um, and congrats to Gabe for figuring out that the judges are manipulatable in that way. Yeah. Um, I got a listener email that I want to read to you because I think you might have some insights on it. And it's something that I kind of never thought about, but has quietly been sitting in the back of my brain also as a question. It says, hey, David and Scott. So the passing of Tom Curran, the Eddie, and the run of swell in the Pacific got Pat, me wondering. Oh, what did I say? Tom. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Pat Curran. Thank you. Um, it's got me wondering about guns. I'm an East Coaster, so guns are foreign to my surfing experience. So maybe there's an easy, easy explanation that I so I figured I would ask both of you. Particularly for pro surfers, what explains the jump up? to a gun from a quote, big step up. From my perspective, it seems like most of them are riding sub seven foot boards. And then all of a sudden people jump to nine and 10 foot boards or bigger. I know some guys like Albie ride things under nine foot at Jaws, but that seems to be the exception. Maybe I'm completely wrong, which wouldn't be the first time nor the last time that has happened. But I figured I would ask you to, uh, since you get waves over chest high out there on the West coast. And I know Scott, you've surfed big waves before. Love the show guys, Kyle. 
Oh, that's a, yeah, it's an interesting question, interesting email. I think my my initial reaction is the pros are riding whatever six sixes and under, let's say, at big pipeline, because the wave at pipe, more or less the way the reef is, the wave kind of comes to you. Now at sunset, you're not going to get away with a six two. You have to paddle around. The ocean is moving, the variables are everywhere, the wind, the sets. I mean, a big west set peak will break 200 yards outside of where you're sitting. Um, so you need, and for sure for Waimea Bay, because of the, the, the period and just how massive the swell is, you need a board that will get you up to paddling speed to actually catch the wave. So it really comes down to where you're surfing as far as what size board you're going to need. There isn't, there doesn't seem to be a, a pro that has a board between six feet and nine feet. Like there's no longer guys riding seven sixes, you know, it's either right. I got my six, six step up, or I've got my nine, four brewer that I'm borrowing yes. from my older brother or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. So there is that kind of gap. Now here in California, there's a lot of guys that ride seven, six guns, not mid lengths at places like blacks where you have to get around and you also have to deal with a lot of people. Um, and I think of a spot like Puerto Escondido, where you're dealing with deep ocean surf, and there is a spot for a seven six in your quiver at, at Puerto Escondido because it's not quite nine footable. In other words, it's not twenty five feet, but it's twelve feet. And because it moves around and it's twelve feet, it's a beach break. Much like blacks, a seven six makes a ton of sense because all you're trying to do is get into the wave and pull into the tube anyway. Right. Yeah, I think we talked about I'm Jamin Luoto from NVS Fins. We talked about that image of him surfing blacks. And he was writing, I think, an 8-0 is what that was. So that does fit right in the gap that Kyle's asking about. Ultimately, what and I think Kyle also referenced, I cut the paragraph out because it was a little bit redundant, but he talked about the day that the Eddie didn't run at Waimea. The day that the Eddie did run, let's say it was 40 feet. The day that the Eddie didn't run, it was 25. And he was questioning on that 25 foot day, they're still riding 10 foot, nine and 10 foot boards. You know, it, wouldn't you think that at that medium size YMA a day or smaller YMA a day, then you would have medium or smaller size boards? But I think what you just answered is at a certain point, you're just going straight anyways. Yeah. And so why not yeah. have the nine foot board? You know, it's not yeah. like at a 25 foot face on YMA, you're then going to be doing turns. So you need a smaller maneuverable board. No, at a certain point, you just need paddle power. And so there is a jump from, you know, the seven foot range yeah. up until the nine foot range. But yeah. at blacks where you are, it's 20 feet of face. So you need the paddle power, but you're going down the line and bobbing and trying to find the barrel and dodging people. That's where you need a little bit of maneuverability and nine feet of board is too much board. So yeah, white man is sort of an outlier. Yeah. And that it's really just a drop. Um, and that explains too why a guy like Albie Layers trying constantly, and all of those guys are trying to get as small a board as they can get to catch the wave and then maneuver it at Jaws because they are actually doing bottom turns and setting their inside rail and driving through tubes and coming out. And there's much more surfing that actually occurs. And all of them are trying to get the one up and the, um, you know, the, the little bit of um, help that they can get with a smaller board regarding maneuverability while still being able to catch the wave. I mean, as yeah. you know, <clears throat> in a perfect world, we'd all be riding six twos on 30 foot waves, which is what they do when they tow in or get do yeah. step offs. Um, 
because you can actually ride those boards in that type of surf. It's just catching them. It's difficult. Well, it's interesting. Kyle mentions pros a couple of times, like specifically pros do this and that there's no gap. You don't see a lot of pros surfing Puerto Escondido anymore or sunset for that matter, aside from the contest or black speech anymore. You know what I mean? Whereas back in the day, they certainly, those were major marquee spots back in the day. And at that time they were riding six, I mean, seven sixes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Times are changing a little bit for sure in that regard. And uh, it's a great question. And thanks for sending it in. Yeah. Well, does that segue us into Sunset Beach and the contest? It does, but I got to take a quick break. I'll be ready. Go for it. All right. Scott Bass, realwatersports.com is with us yet again, beloved partners. I love me some real water sports. If I need gear for a trip, if I need a leash, a board bag, some fins, uh, maybe I need a vest or a rashy or a new pair of uh, Florence Marine X. Who knows? Whatever I need, I know I can get it at Real Water Sports, the place to go for the hardcore traveling surfer or hardcore surfer just at home when you need gear. Uh, Real Water Sports is the one-stop online shop. I was on Instagram last night and uh, Naked Viking Surf posted some fins, some Maurice Cole fins that had a little bump like a wing almost in the back where the cutout normally is. There's like a little wing in it. I was like, really? those things, what the heck do those do? Those look really interesting and weird, <laughs> but I'm, I'm into it, you know? Yeah. And then it said available exclusively through real water sports. And I'm like, I know them. I know Maurice. I know NVS. <laughs> I know real water sports. And now I'm like, crap, I got to go through real water sports to get that set of fins. I'm going to, and in, it's probably for a specific board model that they have with Maurice, I would imagine. But yeah. um, they're doing all sorts of cool stuff like that. So check them out. And of course, they ship boards everywhere in the world. They've really unlocked that code on shipping. So uh, one flat fee for um, uh, shipping boards anywhere in the world. And it's guaranteed to show up blemish free. So sweet. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Look, Real Water Sports. It's a, a no brainer. Go check them out right now. Realwatersports.com. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
Yeah, guy. Welcome back. Yeah. So, Sunset Beach, the uh, Hurley Pro Sunset Beach has run two days of competition thus far. Uh, opening day with the women and uh, then going into the men. And then yesterday ran in marginal conditions all of the men's, co- the final heats of the opening round and then the elimination round yesterday as well for the men's. Any initial thoughts on this event? Yeah, my initial thoughts are, gosh, the opening day was fun. Like it, relative to the pipeline event, it was like, oh, cool. We're actually in Hawaii having a legit surf contest. And I know it wasn't huge, but there was just big open face gouges and turns. And I was kind of psyched on it, to be honest with you. Well, for listeners who are new to the show or relatively new, let's say. You have been begging for Sunset Beach to be on the CT for the full 10 years that we've been doing this podcast. And the WSL added it to the schedule, I'd say two years ago. And so you were right all along. Like I, I always acknowledge like, yeah, that that is, it does add a dimension to the tour that doesn't exist on any other waves. And people do point at Margaret River. It's not the same. Sunset's totally different than Margaret River. And really, in most years, we get rippable Margaret River. And so Big Sunset is very different than the rippable Margaret River that we generally get. And so I agree with you. It does really add um, a a style of uh, challenge to the surfers that is super interesting to watch them try to figure out. And I'm a big fan of the the venue. Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing about Sunset is that it never really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It never really, it's just when you're out in the water and you're in person, it's just a gnarly situation. And I don't think it transfers as well on no. broadcast. Like you don't get a real sense of how intense it is. And so, um, and so there's a lot of water moving around. There's a lot of new, a lot of freaky little sections that come out. It's constantly changing. It's got a different face almost every day. And um, I just think it's a, it's a challenging wave and it, um, it, and it was fascinating watching. Go ahead. It, you're right. It doesn't fully translate, but it still translates not fully, but you do get an appreciation for the vastness of the playing field and how challenging those sections are to read and how far in advance you need to kind of uh, plan for them. And then how instantaneously you need to adjust to them as well. Yeah, I mean, the real challenge, I think, for the broadcast is to convey, here, here's the thing with Sunset, if you've been to Hawaii and surf Sunset Beach, you you love the Sunset Contest, you're like, oh my God, that's the gnarliest wave, that is insane, is. and you understand it, and you don't need it to translate, because you, you've you experienced it, so you know, Yeah. but maybe. if you've never been there, never experienced it, you might be like, oh, it's not pipeline, you know, it's not death-defying three feet of water barrel rides. Um, so that's their challenge. Can they convey that, you know, and, and frankly, um, Peter Mel and Kaipo do a great job in the broadcast booth of, of everything that they're doing as far as commentary. And it's a hard thing to do, but uh, look, we love sunset. And I mean, you can go back to the days when it was the world cup and it was on the, the ASP schedule as, as one of the main events and, and, you know, Gary Kong Elkerton and all of the guys just catching massive, you know, 12 to 15 feet of West peak swell rolling up the windows on these late drops. There's an out, there's a tube out there 
you know, pull right up into it. I mean, it's a, it's just an amazing wave. And we certainly hope that they get some sweat. Looks promising today, actually. I mean, it's not going to be all time biggest ever, but it's going to be, I think today there might be some swell and good conditions, but we'll see. That's what's funny is even on day one, when it ran for listeners who have not seen sunset in all of its glory, they could look at day one and say, wow, that's, that's a contestable big, but it's not yeah. the same. It's an entirely different personality than when it's actually 10 feet, you know? It was fun watching Kelly negotiate it. I mean, we, you know, Kelly's been, uh, he'll be the first one to tell you that he hasn't had a good result out there. Really. It's not his, it's not his wave of choice for competition. And, uh, you know, I think he surfs it really well. I mean, he's done well there. I mean, he's had good heats there in the past and it was fun watching him surf in the opening round. Um, I thought he surfed fabulous and uh, I'm looking forward to bigger and better today. I hope. I agree. I thought he surfed uh really well and it made me feel like he considered the conversation that we had on air not that he listened but we talked about him maybe not making the mid-year cut and i think that that became a reality to him after his poor result at pipe and he's like if i have another poor result at sunset my back is going to be against the wall i cannot have a poor result at sunset and i feel like he showed up with his a game yeah, and I believe the cut happens before the Kelly Slater wave pool event. It, and that would be sort of like, it would be hard to show up at your own wave pool and not be a competitor in it. You know what I mean? This, yeah. you know, for him, I think, you know, I got to say, though, he, he's such an approachable champion. Like, he he could be way worse. And he's actually like the the way that he responded to the, YM, to the Eddie Aikau event, you know, with such um, humility. Yeah. frankly, you know, and, and honesty and sincerity. And, um, it was refreshing, you know? And so, uh, look, I'm a big fan and look, let's see how it goes today. I mean, uh, I think they'll be running the bracket round the heat of 32 round today and probably more. So well, uh, we'll see how it goes. Coming off of the pipe event where we criticized the WSL running the women in arguably the worst day of competition in recent memory, really uncontestable surf they opened the sunset event by running the women in very good surf actually you know like and then yesterday was the day that was really questionable they ran the rest all the men yesterday they never put the women out so i think that that was a an adjustment from the wsl after the the misstep at pipe and um i thought it was good to see the women actually in sizey surf the scores didn't reflect, I think, their, you know, excellent performances. The scores were pretty low throughout that opening women's round. But I thought that a number of them, Molly Picklum, memorably, Carissa Moore, all surfed really, really well. Like, it was actually entertaining competition. Yeah. And like I said, uh, you know, looking forward to today when it, it, you know, it could be it'll probably be six to eight and pretty good, you know, relative to what's coming down the pike uh, yeah. in the, in the, uh, in the waiting period. It's not the greatest forecast. It's been tough. It's yeah. been tough late season in Hawaii for contests. Well, two main talking points from this event thus far, John, John Florence coming out with an absolute bang. Uh, John, John would be somebody that you would bet on for sunset beach. He performs really well out there. He got 
two nine point rides in his opening round heat and uh found a barrel nobody else found throughout the event so that was just stellar to see john john back in form the other talking point was the questionable interference call on zeke lao yesterday did you watch this or did you recap oh, yeah. it at all i actually watched it live me too and um the first thing let me say that I think Mikey Ciamarella on stab wrote something great about John John, which I thought was like the perfect way that I it sort of summed it up for me, which was that John John looked like he was pissed. Mm. He was surfing like he was pissed off. And um, I thought that was pretty insightful of Mike. And the second thing, um, look, I, if you want, we can kind of, lay it out as it went down chronologically that might help the listeners get a better understanding i'm sure everyone saw it but i'll just kind of try to summarize it um as the heat was drawing to a close zeke lao sat in first place with priority he was in first place with priority and rio wada sat in third place without priority and he needed like a low four to surpass leo and get through the heat and Zeke was hounding Rio Water, just aggressively make, you know, doing what you have to do in a competition to make sure the other guy doesn't get a wave. And Zeke again had priority. With moments remaining, Zeke strangely paddled for a wave, which Rio wasn't even really looking at. And that was David with one minute and 50 seconds remaining in the heat. Now, on the broadcast screen that I was watching, <clears throat> excuse me. Zeke had priority still, and it was a full minute at the 50-second mark, a full minute, that the priority switched on the broadcast screen from Zeke to Rio Wada. And on the broadcast, you could hear muffled the announcer announcing that priority had switched, but it was a full minute from the time Zeke paddled for the wave to the time that they flipped the priority. Um, Zeke clearly had no clue that he'd relinquished priority and with 15 seconds remaining in the heat and now Rio with priority, he, Rio stood up on the final wave of that heat. Zeke burned him, obviously thinking that Zeke, that he still had the priority interference was given Rio Wada advanced. Zeke was eliminated. Uh, there was 35 seconds between the broadcast showing the priority switch and the final wave. So the priority switched. Zeke was paddling after Rio for 35 seconds, probably not even looking at his watch or the beach to see what that it had happened. And then the final wave was caught, which caused the elimination. Um, Zeke was furious. He stormed up the screen. I'm disappointed the WSL didn't follow him um, to capture that drama. That's the kind of drama that you want to see on the Netflix show. Yep. Um, and and I'm sure they Apple hopefully class. caught it. <clears throat> But um, I'm sure he went to the priority judge and vented, you know, which would have made it was it was disappointing to see him charge and jump over the fencing and climb up there and not. And there was really no follow up on the WSL's right. part. And there was no follow up in the press release that they gave no. today, this morning. And that's that's a bummer. I think that yeah. that's a bummer. Um, it's well, worth noting. Uh, yeah, go ahead. The. So on, if you were watching all those details, staring at the screen, then yes, you would have seen exactly what you saw. I was in the kitchen. 
cooking, just kind of like also whenever somebody gets a wave, then I look. And so I didn't see every detail. And like you said, the WSL didn't explain every detail. The commentators didn't explain every detail, but guess who did? Leonardo Fioravanti, who was in second place, ended up in first place because of the interference. And so he was in the post-heat interview with Alex McCord, and he explained it in great detail. Alex, thankfully, asked him, what did you witness? That seemed like a controversial mix-up. What did you witness? Leo broke it down really, really well. And he basically said what you said, but explained that the culprit was, he said it was a minute and 30 seconds that transpired from when Zeke paddled for the wave uh, or showed intent on a wave, thus relinquishing priority, but it wasn't determined that he relinquished it for a minute and 30 seconds. So that was the culprit was that gap of time because uh, Zeke- It was really a minute. It was really a minute. Okay. So Zeke paddled for the wave just to like have a have a glance at it, then checked priority again. And Leo even said he had this conversation with Zeke. And Zeke checked priority and saw, I still have priority. Okay, cool. I'm in the clear. That paddle did not cost me anything. I am in the clear. I hold priority. There's now a minute left in the competition. I have priority. I can kind of do whatever I want. So he did his due diligence. It, you know, for a full minute, they didn't switch the priority. For whatever reason, those priority judges reviewed the footage and then decided to switch the priority with how much time left on the clock? 50 seconds, presumably? 50 seconds, yeah. Okay. 50 seconds. So Zeke thought he was already in the clear at that point. Yeah. And uh, Leo, I think, figured out that Zeke wasn't. That's and so, the key right there. Hold on yeah. to that thought. Now go keep going. And when Zeke paddled for the wave to block Rio, Leo said he even shouted at Zeke, don't go, like you don't have priority anymore. Zeke didn't hear him. The other little detail that you really don't appreciate unless you're in this scenario is it's pandemonium out there. It's out to sea. There's a lot of water moving. There's a lot of wind. It's pandemonium. These little tiny details are lost on you. You need a minute or two minutes or three minutes to assess and reassess. But once your head is down and you're battling for waves, you don't hear any of that. You're not checking your Apple watch to see who has priority. You know what I mean? So when yep, Zeke- but Leo did. Yeah, because he wasn't in contention. Another, for, he wasn't in contention. He wasn't going to do battle yeah. with them. So yeah. he's probably sitting on his board and he does have the time to check. But the point is, Zeke did what he thought was his due diligence. The priority call was made very, very late by the judges yeah. and in yeah. a very kind of inopportune last minute, you know, where yeah. you're not, you think that you've already checked every box and now you're just focused on the final minute of the event. So that's where it all went wrong. Thank you to Leonardo Fioravanti for, in two events, providing the most interesting insights into the events when he's in his post-eat interviews, because remember his Apple Watch thing and at the pipe thing? Yeah. So yeah. I'm a, I've become a huge fan of Leonardo Fioravanti this year. Uh, that's a side story, but I think Zeke absolutely got robbed by this call. Yeah, I think absolutely got robbed is a little strong. I do think that it's unfortunate. Uh, I do have some empathy for what Zeke went through because it, it wasn't clear, you know, it was, I guess th th this really boils down to is how much time are we going to give the priority judges? How much time do they get 
to decipher this. And this is an interesting thing about Sunset Beach. If this was a pipeline, we'd be like, yes or no, priority can be determined rather quickly. But Sunset, because it's so far out to sea, because the wave peaks up and then backs off. Yeah. Um, it was obviously it took more time for the priority judges. So the question and Sunset's one of the only spots where it's going to take a minute to determine that. Yeah. Now, there could be some other circumstances that we don't know about the priority judge was in the bathroom who knows mm. but the question is how much time are you comfortable with giving the priority judges before you look you need to make a decision you get 15 seconds you get 10 seconds you get five seconds what is the amount of time that we give the priority judges for them to get it right well and i think that's more important too that well it's as important like they should get it right and what if they make a decision within 10 seconds, but they got it wrong. Now they for sure can't change it. Yeah. So the, uh, your thoughts things, on this? The two things that are at odds here is we want a timely decision because more waves are on the way. So you need to make right. it as quick as possible, but they right. also want to review the footage, which takes time. Right. So a minute seems like it would be enough time to review the footage, but a minute seems like too long to because there might be waves on the way. So 30 seconds, I think, is... If I had to give you a timeline, 30 seconds okay. is how long the judge. Let me ask have. you this. Let me but, ask you this. Yeah. Okay. You're a priority judge. You've got binoculars. Let's say there's two of you. Your only job is to determine priority. That's it. You've got eyes on the scene. There's, I don't know. They should have three priority judges, frankly, yeah. Yeah. especially at sunset. It doesn't take you 30 seconds to determine if there was intent. It takes you no. five seconds. Yeah. It takes you five seconds. If you're like on, you know, yeah, literally, if that's your only job, real time, yep. I'm watching it. This is what occurred. Yes or no. He hadn't. And I can tell right away. Yeah. You no. Know? And, and that's where, for me, I think this is absolutely a wrong call is because yeah. they got it wrong both ways. Zeke did not show intent. If, if I would if disagree with that. that. I would disagree with that. That's interesting. So you and I, as two judges who were both watching the same thing, have I would suggest to you that um, that Zeke paddled for that wave, uh, you know, to keep Rio from paddling for that wave. Now, the wave kind of backed of, off. Yeah, neither of them would have caught the wave. I don't think that's Matt. That's not. That doesn't come into the the ruling at all, whether they would catch it or not. But if it's intent. If the words I-N-T-E-N-T, -E if that's it, intent, um, I would suggest to you that there's no way Zeke would have paddled for that wave if it, Rio wasn't there to maybe catch it with yeah, priority. I, yeah, that might be true, but I also don't think that he paddled with enough intent to catch the wave. Yeah, that, that might he's, be true too. I mean, maybe stroked, that's why it stroked. took a minute. That's why it took yeah. a minute. I mean, he stroked to have a look to see what Rio was going to do, you know, and Rio backed off early. And so Zeke backed off early, yeah. but I don't think either of them tried to make an effort to catch that wave. That's true. Maybe it's, maybe as we sit here and dissect this, it's tougher than we think. It's not as simple as you and I think. Well, because maybe it does take a job. minute to watch. The we weren't trained you. for this job. Like it, if it's your job, then you, it doesn't take this long, you know? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, if there's two guys in there and they're both going, I thought he did. And I thought he didn't. Then the next thing, well, let's look at it. Well, so and that's uh, where the issue was like, yeah, that's where and, the time and at that is. point, do you need to have, you know, a beginning of season talk with all the competitors and go, look, we may have to review the priority 
And you guys better be on top of your game. And oh, by the way, we've got you these watches. All you got to do is look at your wrist. Yeah. Every few seconds, just look at your wrist. Maybe they need an alarm on the watch that's like, hey, we've made the decision. Check your watch or right. something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, because that really is what it comes down to in the end is if they're going to take that long and it's going to be in this final minute that is frantic and there's a lot of other things going on for the competitors, you have to let them know what the situation is. You have to get them that information, you know? And yeah. so I think like Leo said, how long does it take to look at the beach and see the sign? Yeah, but it's far away. And again, there's waves yeah, you coming. Can see it. Yeah, I know, but you're the waves your are coming in to... and you got eyes on your competitor and you already yeah. checked. That's the other thing, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it just, it, I it know that's a tough situation. It's a tough situation. It's a tough break for Zeke. Um, this is a pet event for Zeke. Zeke's won this event. This is something that, again, he would expect to kind of shore up his position on. So for him to get yeah. the last place is a real tough break for him. And as we've stated, I think in our last show, neither of us are huge fans of Zeke. So I'm not really advocating for him, but I think that he did get a crappy call there. Yeah, there's no doubt that regardless of which side of the equation you're on, um, it's a bummer for him. Yeah. And you know, I don't know. A yeah. little, there's like a little Zeke. It feels like a little Zeke karma almost. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. I didn't consider that. Um, but he was well, pissed. He, he absolutely was. Um, the uh, Kai Lenny was also in this event, which was an interesting, obviously, he's a Hurley team rider. So this was a sponsor wildcard pick. Yeah. But, I was I was uh, curious to see how Kai would perform with a jersey on in a CT format, yeah. and uh, turns out he got last place. Spoiler alert! <laughs> I, I think he's totally worthy. I, I think you know it was a weird day for an elimination heat. You know, mm -hmm. I think everything everything is different if it's eight to ten, and you know, for him, for Kai, well. I don't he think that good would... in small waves too. I just think he was out, you know, like those guys are just, was he an Ian Gentile seat? I don't recall, yeah. but anyway, I agree. Ian Gentile surfed great. I didn't think that the culprit was the lack of waves for Kai. I think you could see the nervousness with a Jersey on like he, I think in the opening round heat, he was doing just like a standard cutback and he just fully bogged. And I was yeah. like, dude, I have not seen Kai bog like that ever, just fully, full stop, you yeah. know? And so I think it's a reflection of just, there's a lot of pressure in that in that environment. And uh, he's not used to that level of pressure. And frankly, he should probably just stay in his lane. He's yeah. got a great fat lane and he's the only one in his lane. So don't get into these other lanes. Like, dude, your lane is just go be Kai. Yeah. Get out totally. the wing foil, get out the paddle, get out what, you know. Yeah. He does a great job being Kai Lenny. Yeah, totally. So. Well, fair enough. Uh, Yaga Dora going left. Yago yesterday, because <laughs> the waves were not proper sunset, there were some opportunities on the left, and Yago won his heat doing an air, massive air reverse on a left. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. That is interesting. And you and I have talked about the left at sunset in the past, because as you know, Kelly Slater got a 10. Going mm -hmm. left at Sunset Beach once. Yeah, in a barrel. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was a 10. He got an insane tube. Yeah, totally. 
Um, uh, I need your survival. I know we're out of survival league at this point. Did you point. re-up? Did you go for a second chance? No, I don't Wasn't, think they've give implemented us a, that. Oh, I thought, oh, okay. Well, I didn't do it either, but okay. So you need a survival pick? For well, I'm just event? curious. If, yeah, if you um, were still in survival league, right? who would you pick? If I was still in it right now, um, I haven't looked at the brackets, which I would do, right? But you pick Kanoa. Yeah, no, I mean, you have to pick at the beginning of the event. You pick Kanoa for heat for event one. So you got everybody other than Kanoa for sunset that you could pick. Um, I might take something kind of crazy like um, like Jackson Baker. Would you really? I mean, it's a good pick, but it's a risky Sunset's pick. such a wild card. I mean, for this type of comp, for this type of fun game, the format of this game, Survival League, Jackson Baker looked pretty solid. <laughs> you have the Michael benefit Rodriguez, of I don't know. You have the Look, benefit the of The obvious pick is Jack Robinson. Yeah, the which obvious pick ended up Jack in the elimination round somehow. I know, he, but he squeaked through, and I think he did. He's ranked number one in the world. I think he's getting through. Well, you, might, you might go against Felipe. Who's surfing against Felipe? I think it's um, Eli, Han- Eli Hanneman, I think, surfs against Felipe. That's right. But, you, but you're not going to pick Eli Hanneman to be at the beginning of this event. No, you know what I mean? Totally. Well, I had already locked in all my picks for the entire season. Okay. And, and Baron Mamiya was my pick for sunset. That's a great pick. And he's still in it. He's still in it. And, uh, again, the reason I picked him, as I explained a couple of weeks ago is I wouldn't use him for any other event, basically. So my other picks for sunset were John, John Florence, Jack Robinson, and Jordy Smith. Jordy, I also wouldn't use for any other event, really. I mean, maybe Jay Bay, he'd be like my third or fourth option. But um, John John Florence, I was going to save for Bells. Jack Robinson, I was going to save for Margaret River. And so Baron seemed like the obvious pick for me or the safest pick for me. And he's drawn Seth Moniz in this round of 32. So that is Ooh. going to be a tough, a tough battle for those two. Your Jack Robinson pick would have been much more... Um, a much better pick because he's got Carlos Munoz in <laughs> heat one of the round of 32. So he's almost guaranteed to win that. I have this vision that your spreadsheet, your survival league spreadsheet, except for the first event where you lost for the big L like me, it's probably going to play out perfectly. It You're probably, probably going to get through because you did all the like hard research on it. And you just got the shaft because Mother Nature at the pipeline event really didn't do us justice. That's Kelly. The that's shaft of the shaft of I will, Kelly. I will suggest to you that I bet we got a big another big culling of losers because of the Zeke Lau situation. Oh, Zeke yeah. would have been a guy that many people would have chosen. Like this is the Zeke event. Yeah. And I bet I bet I'll, I'll you know I'll throw a number out. I bet it it's close to maybe. 20%, it might be 18 or 19% more people picked Zeke and they're out. And yeah, I mean, gosh, you're down to like of the hundred percent that started, you might be down to the last 22%. Totally. Or less. Totally. It's been a while. I mean, it's a, it's going to end quick. Like the, the survival league can end like on the fourth, fourth event, you know, totally. like it can end quickly. Can you imagine if a winner gets selected before the end of the season? 
It happens. It yeah, happens it all the time in, in football survival leagues. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I've got another listener line call I want to play for you real quick um, regarding, we were talking about wave pools last yeah. week, I think. Yeah. Hey, David. Uh, this is James calling in. Uh, just wanted to follow up on a discussion with uh, you and Scott regarding uh, wave pools. And I know you're talking about, uh, you know, expanding the surf uh, influence into inland communities and the effect that uh, wave pools will have on that. And just wanted to bring up a quick story. Um, I was at a party on New Year's Eve and struck up a conversation with a guy that's actually an engineer for standing waves within rivers. And his sales pitch to me, which I thought was pretty intriguing, is that there are more rivers, maybe not like in desert areas, but at least in more mountainous or east coast areas, there's more rivers available for uh, standing wave potential. And there's already river cultures in a lot of these areas where people are just hanging out at the river in the summer months anyways. And by implementing, uh, you know, just some minor infrastructure improvements to certain stretches of rivers, you can create a standing wave. And with that, you start to build these uh, standing wave, maybe not a full surfing community, but you know what I mean, just uh, having that ability to ride a wave within a river system versus building a huge expensive uh, wave pool operation uh, he thinks is going to be the way forward to uh, bring surfing to these uh, inland areas in the U.S. Anyways, just wanted to share. Keep up the work. Thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, my first thought is that standing river waves are just different waves than like yeah. the wave pool waves. Totally. You know, they're almost like these sheet waves, like the one in Mission Beach that um, Tom Lochtefeld built. That yep. was that they that you would see them. We were riding them in the in the two thousands. You know that there was like the Swatch tour. You know, and they get like Tony Hawk, yeah, and Rob Machado, and all of these great board riders, and they would just get in this thing and just sit in the tube. And standing waves are just a different wave. So it's a completely not completely, but it's a different type of surfing. Yeah. And it, much like the Waimea Bay stuff that you see Jamie O'Brien doing, that's kind of what you're getting. And um, so, um, you know, my thoughts are, yeah, will, will there be like little river surfing communities and cultures that pop up? I think so. And I think it's a cool thing. I'm all for it, you know, but I just think it's, it's just a different beast than you know, the types of technologies that American wave machine and that the surf lakes people and that the guy in Spain, the, um, wave garden, wave guard, <laughs> like those are just, and Kelly's, those are just completely different. Like, I, I think hardcore ocean surfers are more drawn towards those ones I just mentioned than a standing river wave. I think it, I totally agree. It's not even surfing. It's something different, but yeah. I think there is a, an entire subculture that potentially could develop out of that, you know, um, like I think in Munich, that is yeah. for that wave right there, there is a subculture there that has developed for that, that they don't even go surf in the ocean. They're just all about that standing wave. And so I could see that happening adjacent to surfing. Yeah. The one thing I like about it though, is, um, like with the wave pool, it's a totally different economic thing. Like wave pools, as James said, millions and millions of dollars to invest and tons of build out, tons of permitting, tons of everything. 
But because of all of that, there's all this marketing that comes with it. And so they will, the investors will be trying really hard to cultivate a community of people. And so it's all kind of driven by this economic machine, whereas the river yeah. waves, it's much more organic. It's like, yeah. you're not going to do it unless you're just hardcore and you want to do that thing. And so I like yeah. that that defines those subcultures differently, but the river wave still kind of feels like, no offense, like rollerblading compared to skateboarding <laughs> back in the day, you know, like, yes, it's on wheels. Yes. It's under your feet, but it is not at all the same thing and uh, arguably not nearly as cool. And so will it be around as long as, uh, you know, wave surfing is maybe, maybe not, maybe it'll be a trend, but it's an interesting adjacent development for sure. It is. It's charming. There's no doubt the organic nature of the community it develops is charming. And the other one's kind of a little bit vomit in my mouth. For, you know, it's like capital, capitalism yeah. driven. It's like, dude, this thing's cool. You got to come see it. Blah, blah, blah. Here's my, you know, like, you know, all of that yeah. stuff you mentioned. Right. So yeah, yeah. it is kind of cool that way. And that is like, initially you're like, I think I don't like it, but I kind of like it. And that's why, because of that organic nature of the developing exactly. culture, that's true. And it's organic. And it's kind of reminds you of like the guys that were climbing Yosemite in the 1960s or fifties, you know, that are climbing half dome. And there was this thing that happened that no one knew about except for like right. 25 dudes. And it's kind of cool. Exactly. Um, the uh, other thing is, you know, it's not exactly, you know, it's not surfing, it's surf adjacent. When you see somebody as as skilled as Jamie, surf, surf adjacent is is the greatest phrase. I love this phrase, surf adjacent. Well, when you see it's somebody from as Chaz, isn't didn't Chaz make this phrase? Well, surf adjacent. He he would talk about the inertia being located Venice adjacent. Oh, that's what it was, right? Yeah, because right. uh, they were you know right around the corner. But anyways, <laughs> um, when you see somebody as talented as Jamie O'Brien, yeah, barely able to like stand and get to his feet when he's on that standing wave at Waimea Bay river mouth. Um, that's how, you know, it's not exactly the same thing. You know, it's like, it's that much different to where Jamie O'Brien struggles to really figure it out still. Yeah. 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 Well, in closing, I would like to, uh, send our condolences to the family and friends of one Larry Haynes. Oh yeah. That's sad. That's super sad, man. Iconic North shore surf photographer, image capturer, filmmaker, um, uh, passed away sadly due to a heart attack right after surfing a session at Lani Akea. So Larry Haynes, um, he's been around for 30, 30 years, I'd say documenting surfing. And his most recent job was actually documenting the pipe pro. He was filming from the jet ski, the water angle, so all of that footage that you saw of people getting barreled from the water at back door, that was Larry on the back of ski shooting that. And so he was working up and through that event. And I feel like it was that day or maybe the day after that news came out that he had passed away. So it was really kind of shocking because we had just seen him working, you know, and as the story kind of goes, which we found out in the last few days, he um, went and surfed Lonnie Akea, stand up paddled Lonnie Akea actually documented the session on his GoPro and then had a heart attack in his vehicle after the fact. And so I think that people actually found him in his car and the lifeguards, you know, took the GoPro, but eventually released it to the family five days later. And so just in the last few days, we've actually seen that GoPro footage. And in fact, he caught, 
filmed his final wave ever surfed on that GoPro. And it's an epic ride with uh, capturing like the exuberance of the ride and the smile on his face and all that sort of stuff. And so that footage is, is available on Instagram. I published it. Uh, Brian Bielman, I think is who published it where I saw it. And then I published it on at surf splendor. So if you want to see that final ride from Larry, please go check that out. It's really kind of heartwarming. Yeah. It's such an incredibly fitting thing that we have that he filmed himself surfing i mean that's that kind of encapsulates everything about larry you know and yeah and frankly i would i would suggest that i bet it's something like 90 percent of the footage that you've seen in your lifetime larry was there either as a part of the production crew or that's actually his footage especially in hawaii like he was on every single event, you know, like he got the call yeah. and um, for sure WSL events in like Tahiti and probably in G land and all over the world. And I've worked with Larry uh, when I was at surfer, he was a part of stuff that we did and he's super sweetest, coolest, greatest. Just one of these guys kind of like Sonny Miller in a way, just like gregarious, wonderful, uh, you know, tolerant and loving and kind and just a great, human being you know like yeah kind of guy where you're like you know he just makes you feel better when you're around him he's just you know so yeah rest actually in peace, rest in actually, power i stayed at his house um in february 2020 so the month yeah. before COVID, the month before covid lauren and i went to hawaii and uh we stayed at his house at sunset beach he has a like a guest quarters and so i spent a week with him and uh everything that everybody says is absolutely true and accurate, you know, just like the nicest dude ever. The highlight of that trip actually was his dog, Luna. He's got this dog that like a border collie type dog um, uh-huh. that was just so radical and fun and would go surfing with him. And so she's always off leash. You know, she just has a run, the run of the place. And, uh, would go down to the beach with him on the SUP and she would hop on the nose and he would just paddle out with her on it and surf all the time with him. But then in the house, I saw photos of him surfing with Luna when it was like 10 feet, like she was surfing giant waves. (laughs) And I've seen some of these surfing dogs where you're like, gosh, that is really kind of veers on animal abuse. I'm not sure that that dog wants to do that. Luna was all about it. You know, like Luna was a hundred percent jumping on the board. You should jump on the board at the house, just to try to recreate it, you know, like, so I loved that dog. And I think that, um, lots of times dogs demeanors are reflection of the owners. And so that's a tribute to Larry as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And there's a bunch of great tributes out there that are way better than anything I could say, but, um, other than what we've already said, I mean, too soon. Totally. And really a shock because we had just seen him working the day before at that pipe event too. So it's a shame and a reminder of just how quickly things, how quickly people go. So cherish every moment. Right. And, and the other thing too, is that there's this um, saying out there that nobody really cares what you know, but they care about how you make them feel. Mm. And Larry was one of those guys that I can't really re- remember anything he told me relative to like insight he gave me, but I know how he made me feel. And I don't know why other than he just made me feel wonderful. Yep. And and I think that's one of the messages uh, to take from this. Yeah. Is make people feel good about themselves. Good call. 
All right. right. Well, look, what a show. Um, The sunset event should happen today. And uh, we'll see where it takes us. But uh, until next time. We'll recap it next week. Yeah. Yeah. Until next time. Adios and aloha. It's time to move on. It's time to get going. What lies ahead, I have no way to know. But under my feet, baby, grass is growing. It's time to move on. Time to get going. Broken skyline, moving to the airport. She's an honest defector, conscientious objector. Now her own protector. Yeah, broken skyline. Which way to love land? Which way to something better? Which way to forgiveness? Which way do I go? It's time to move on. Time to get going. What lies ahead, I have no way of knowing. But under my feet, baby. Grass is growing, it's time to move on, time to get going. Sometime later, getting the words wrong, wasting the meaning, losing the rhyme. It's nauseous adrenaline, breaking up a dog fight like a deer in the headlights, frozen in I'm losing my mind It's time to move on Time to get going What lies ahead I have no way of knowing But under my feet, baby Grass is growing It's time to move on It's time to get going Yeah.